John 15. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, uh, it's a, a beloved passage, a passage that we semi have memorized and yet also semi have applied and semi walk in. But Lord, today, just let it become just a grand prerogative of ours to abide in you, to stay connected in you, to dwell with you. And, and the reality is, Lord, let us, let us really hear the truth from you where we like to do that on our terms and according to our schedule and when it kind of fits into our life. And Lord, let's, let's reverse that today, Lord. Do a work of your spirit in our church where we have a congregation of abiding branches so that you can become more famous in this world so that people in Crook County and far off nations can know your saving works to know your glory and that others could enjoy you as we have. We'll give you the praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the main idea of John chapter 15 is that true discipleship of Jesus has a permanent, life-giving, fruit-producing union with Jesus. Let me say that again in case you missed it. <clears throat> A true disciple of Jesus has a permanent, life-giving, fruit-producing union with Jesus. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. When Jesus says, I'm the true vine... He's insinuating that there's others who call themselves vine that aren't true. They're kind of pseudo vines. Uh, the Israelis, the Israelites would have known that uh, they, the nation of Israel has been called the vine in the Old Testament. And especially Psalm 80 often comes up in your mind when you think of Israel, a vine. And yet Jesus says, you know what, I'm going to come in and I'm going to show you that it's not the nation that you need to rest in as your hope and as your life-giving source of sustenance, but it's me, Jesus. And probably for you today, you probably don't think of Israel as your vine. Uh, maybe there's some real, you know, pro-Israel people, and I'm pro-Israel, love Israel. But, you know, we're over here in Oregon, so it's not necessarily where we go. But but you may have something else that has creeped into your life. And it's it's one of those vines that can come in and wrap itself around your neck and choke you out and stop your breathing. It's one of those thorny vines. You know the kind. And it has come into your life and you have sort of gravitated towards it as your source. As your source of life. And Jesus wants you to come back today in this August day, 2021, and just, you know, he wants to bring an axe and lay it to the root of that pseudo vine, that false vine. Because you need to know there's something in your life that's trying to, every single one of us, there's something in your life that's trying to creep in and, and take Jesus's place. 
And he, need, he wants you to know today, he's the true one. He's the true vine. And so pinpoint where that false thorny branch is coming in from. And let's eliminate it today. Let's chop it off. Because Jesus is the true one. He's the true grape vine. I don't know if you have had much experience with grapes and grape vines. I mean, many of us growing up in the 80s heard it through the grapevine, at least, you know. Uh, or we grew up with that awesome California Raisins commercial, you know, that sang that song. Um, uh, but, you know, I remember my grandpa had some grapes down in Klamath Falls, and they were always really sour, you know. They weren't exactly for eating. They were more for canning, you know. Um, and you'd always go pluck one off the off the vine, you know, and your lips would pucker up, and it was like you just ate a atomic warhead, you know. Um, but uh, the Calvary Chapel in Corvallis has a really beautiful amphitheater, and, and when I was still on staff there, we planted some grape vines, and sometimes those uh, grape vines produce, and we create uh, created the communion juice from some of that uh, grapes there in the amphitheater, which was kind of fun. But, you know, here we are in Prineville, and most of us are like, no, um... I'm familiar with those vines that creep along the ground and then produce those wonderful clusters of thorns and, and then they eliminate every bike tire that we have in our house. Guys, I, I've lived all over Oregon, but it wasn't until I moved to Primeville that I was introduced to the goat head, right? The notorious, I'm pretty sure the Nazis planted goat heads on Omaha Beach to stop the invading troop back on D-Day in 1944. It was one of those things, you know. Uh, it's also been called the devil's eyelashes. And if you've ever picked and plucked a cluster of goat head thorns, you'll notice they look like the devil's eyelashes, right? Uh, and so, you know, but Jesus wants to take us to a vineyard today. He wants to transport us to um, something that's different than a parable. And it's more of like, more of a proverb, it's definitely a picture, and it's a picture of a vineyard. It's a picture of a vine. And uh, and Jesus kind of personifies himself, not kind of, he full-on personifies himself as that true vine. And he's going to elaborate in this picture a little bit more, but right off the gate, he wants us to know the son's role, Jesus the son, is the true vine. And then the father, uh, we're, we're talking Trinitarian here. So we're talking God the son is the vine. And God the father is the vine dresser or the farmer or the husbandman. And in this picture, as we're transported to this vineyard today, Jesus says that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So kind of let's keep with the metaphor as Jesus explains it first off to us. So he is this vine, and any branch that's not productive, he's going to just go ahead and take away. Now, in the original uh, language, the word takeaway, it actually means to lift up. And so some uh, in their studying of this see that husbandman, that farmer, come and take branches that are not healthy 
and lift them up to a place where they can get more sun, you know, and, and more exposure to the healthy elements and produce more fruit. Um, and so I, I read a couple different guys that appreciate that understanding of this picture that any branch is not bearing fruit. There's great care by the farmer, the vine dresser to come and kind of prop up and lift and bring health. Uh, the pillar New Testament commentary that's very deep uh, says, you know, there's not really a, a need to go there in the picture with the grape harvesting because that it's not really much seen in the industry. So, um, and so possibly, possibly there's this great husbandman farmer coming to help, but the commentary that Jesus gives in just a minute helps us understand a more, a little more clearly on what Jesus does with those branches that aren't bearing fruit. Okay. But I want to look at a couple of verses with you and you might just write them in your notes or if you've got your iPhone or your phone today and you might have a little notepad going, you might just write these references down for your memory. But in Matthew 15, 13, Jesus says, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. And so, uh, and so anything kind of in God's kingdom that's not from him, that's not part of that vine, that husbandman comes along and pulls them out, just like the goat heads, right? Just like the devil, devil's eyelashes. You gotta get in there and just grab it by the roots so you don't get poked and just pull out that easy root, right? And, uh, and so Jesus says that the father will, will pull out anything that's trying to invade the vineyard that wasn't planted from the father. In Matthew chapter three, verse 10, John the Baptist speaking to the Pharisees, the self-righteous religious people who externally looked like they were part of the vineyard, but internally they were dead and rotten and had no place with God. John the Baptist speaks to those guys and says, even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So speaking to very religious people, external religiosity wasn't the issue to Jesus. Jesus could see right through external self-righteousness. And John the Baptist as well spoke right to the heart of the, of the hypocrite and said, even now the, the ax is laid to the root and the pruning is starting. And it says in our text today that that husbandman, that vine dresser, prunes. How does he put it? Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So there's encouragement here to any branch that's attached to the vine that's doing well. There's good things happening. There's good fruit. And yet every branch has those little, you know, those little things, those little dry spots, those little dry leaves that just need to be plucked off. Uh, I just kind of, my mind goes towards um, some of the potted plants that we get around our house, you know, around Mother's Day and they're for sale everywhere and pansies and posies and whatever else, you know, and we hang them on our front porch and about a week later, we forget to water them for like six days. You know, anybody else do that? No, you're like, no, wait, those are expensive. Yeah, I, don't know, but I didn't buy them. Someone gave them to me. So no, I'm kidding. Uh, 
but you know, they begin to get dry and what happens to, or, you know, even as you're watering them, the, the old flower heads, um, just start to wilt and wither. And what do you got to do? You just go around and pop, 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 pop. And it's kind of fun. It's kind of therapeutic. You just pop off all those deadheads, you know? Um, and so as you do, you see life come back into that plant. It's a healthy plant and there's just a healthy process of the pruning that takes place or your rose bushes. Once that flower on that, on that rose is, is done, you know, and you know when it's done, uh, you just trim it off and, and just then one will grow on that branch, uh, in a, in a, in a, in a very healthy and beautiful way. And so, you know, it's, I love these passages that Jesus teaches that are practical life lessons that often come to my mind. Sometimes my mind goes to when Jesus said, Hey, when you're at a feast, don't just go sit up at the head of the table and at the place of honor, lest, you know, the, the master of the feast or the homeowner say, Oh, hey, um, if you don't mind, can you go back and sit down at the foot of the table? Cause, um, you know, I've got some, guests of honor to sit here. And that often comes to my mind, you know, just in life, you know, when we're branding, you know, it's, it's good to not just be the first guy up on a horse going to go rope. It's good to like take a place of a servant, maybe work the ground crew and have the master of the branding say, Hey, go get your horse, get up there, you know? And for you, you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't brand, but you know what I'm talking about for yourself. You know, it's like, take the humble place, take the place of a servant and and the Lord will put you in a more exalted place when it's the right time. Uh, I also think of when Jesus says, uh, don't put a new cloth uh, on a old garment, you know, when you're sewing the holes in your pants, you know, because when you wash it and you dry it, that new patch will begin to shrink up and will rip your old pair of jeans, you know, and I don't sew much or at all for that matter. But, uh, but I do think of it, you know, uh, when the time comes to do any sort of mending or whatnot. And so I think of Jesus whenever I'm pruning plants to make them healthier. That's something that Jesus does. A few verses that just correspond to this first verse and second verse are that whoever has in Matthew 13, 12, to him more will be given and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So Jesus says, you know what? If you are, if you're in the vineyard, but you're not bearing fruit, like whatever you are, it's going to be taken away, right? Um, or second Corinthians chapter four, verse 13 speaks about the pruning of afflictions of life. And how the afflictions of life, they're just for a moment, but they're working for us a far more weighty measure of glory. And so, you know, maybe those plants out on your porch, when you begin to deadhead them or prune them, if you could hear them talk, they might say, oh, no, too close with the shears, you know, maybe if plants could talk. But then after all of that dead stuff is gone, they're like, ah, thank you for the exfoliation, you know, and they appreciate it. The correction from the Lord is something that he uses to prune the branches and to cause them to have more fruit. 
it's really easy to kind of hop metaphor into application here. And so we'll move on so that that can make more sense as we go. Jesus tells the disciples in verse three, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. And so you might remember, this is the upper room discourse. It's on his final night here on earth that Jesus washes the disciples' feet, tells the disciples that he is going to be leaving them. Um, he institutes the Lord's Supper in communion. He promises that he's going to prepare a place for them and that he will return for them. He has told them that there's a one among them who's going to betray him that night. There's been a lot that's been going on in this upper room discourse. And here Jesus says for the second time in the upper room that you guys are all clean. And when he said it in chapter 13 in the upper room, he said, except for one of you, because he knew the one who was going to betray him. All you guys are in a place of sanctification set apart for my work, except for one of you. And he's going to, he's a scoundrel. He's going to betray me. And now he is gone. Judas Iscariot has gone and has begun to do that deed of betrayal. And so now Jesus is able to talk to just the pure disciples and say, you guys are already clean. I am the vine. He's going to say in just a minute, you are the branches. But he already had spoken the metaphor that says, you know, the vine dresser comes and any branch that even does bear fruit, he's going to do some trimming work. And you guys, you're in a place where you're in a good place right now. Because I've been speaking my word to you. It's a lesson for us. And we're going to see it multiple times in this little section, 15, 17 verses, where he's going to speak about how important his word is in cleaning us. How important his word is in pruning us. And how important his word is in deadheading us and plucking off all of those things that are hindering and hampering growth. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, we know that the groom of the church, Jesus, cleanses his bride, the church, through the washing. You guys, can you can say it? It's a lot of W words. The washing of the water of the word, right? The washing of the water of the word. In two chapters from now, John 17, Jesus is going to be praying his high priestly prayer. And he's going to pray that the Father would sanctify his disciples by the truth. And then he says, your word is truth. So how does the Lord sanctify us? How does the Lord set us apart? What is a method and a means that the Lord uses to prune us as Christians and as disciples? By the word of God. By having us spend time in it individually. By having qualified elders and pastors give the sense to it as they're preaching and teaching it. It's the word of God that sanctifies. Let's go on to verse 4. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in in me. And so we've got this word abide introduced now. Abide, it speaks of dwelling. It speaks of being connected permanently. It speaks of residing. Um, 
you all abide in Primeville, right? Or maybe there's a couple people that drive from Bend, you know, we got a couple people that come from Redmond, Madras. That's where you abide. It's your abode, if you will, okay? It's where you dwell. It's your residency. And so Jesus says, stay with me, wait with me, reside with me, keep on keeping on with me, continue to exist with me, make your home in me, abide in me, let me be your abode. But do you see the mutual abiding that happens here? It's going to be mentioned a couple times in this chapter. <clears throat> Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. There's mutual dwelling that takes place. Jesus desires to make his home in us. Now, there are people that are critical, and, and, and in a degree I understand, because we want to be as biblical as we can with our language that we use. And many evangelists and guys that I've heard that I respect, they kind of get critical for people that say, I asked Jesus into my heart. You know, and they kind of point to some new agey stuff about it or whatnot, and I appreciate, like, we just want to be biblical. But at the same time, I also appreciate when people say, I, I want Jesus to come into my heart and into my life because what it speaks of is into my inner man is where I want Jesus to be. I want him to dwell in me like it says here in John chapter 15. I want him to know me and I want to know him. There's a reciprocal relationship here with Jesus. And it is why as a little child, I was taught the song by my mom. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, into my heart, nothing but an abomination, like I don't know. I think it's kind of sweet, and I think it's just an expression of saying, I want to abide with you, Jesus. Will you abide with me? And so whatever it is, you know, I'm not trying to make a thing about it, because there's times that I've been like, yeah, how dumb, don't break into my heart, blah, blah, blah. Like, sometimes we're just too critical. And then we get to say, Lord, let's just make it biblical. Lord, come in. Abide in me. Why? Why do we need him to abide in us? Well, if we go back to our picture, here we are in the vineyard. Isn't it a... Close your eyes. We're outside so you can kind of make it happen. Hear the wind of the vineyard? Smell the grapiness? Mm, Welches, you know. Here we are. Jesus is laying out this picture for us. And we see in front of us a grapevine, right? And there's one main trunk this vine going across, you know, the posts and the beams and wrapping itself along, fastened to the posts and the beams. And that vine has off of it all of these subvines, right? All of these branches, branches coming off that main trunk and off of those branches. And they're much smaller. They're much more fragile than the main vine. And off of those branches come these great clusters of delicious fruit, 
profitable for life, profitable for joy, profitable for refreshment. And Jesus says, if you go with me here, you need to remember that in our picture, I am that main trunk. I am that vine. And all of you disciples, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Thomas, Bartholomew, you all that. And then I believe that, that there's application that extends, excuse me, that extends to us today in Primeville, 2,000 years later. The Halversons, Gail and Ron, a couple of wonderful branches coming off. Caleb and Julie Barnes, a couple of wonderful branches coming off. Court and Bethany Priday, a couple of wonderful branches. You guys are like, are they going to call on me? There's too many people. I'm like, just remember their names. That's all you got to do, okay? But you guys, you are those branches coming. If you're a Christian here today, you are uh, branches coming off of that main vine, that main trunk. And if you abide in me, he says in the middle of verse 5, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And that makes sense, doesn't it? You're there in the vineyard, you see the branch that's attached to the trunk, and it's got health, it's got some life, it's either in the process of creating fruit, or it's got fruit, and it's green, and it's healthy. And he says, if you're attached to me, you're going to bear fruit. As you're abiding in him, as you're connected in him. This is very important, Christians. Christians must stay connected to the vine. Many places in the New Testament, there are promises for Christians, but it says, these promises are for you if indeed you continue in the faith. Grounded, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. Great promises. You want to bear fruit? That's awesome. That is a promise for you if you continue, if you stay connected, if you are abiding. You know, there are some sobering passage in Hebrews, passage like Hebrews chapter six, verse six, Hebrews chapter 10. There are passages that if you read them, it kind of causes trouble in your heart. And many people have gone to a place where they've said, oh, it's possible for me to leave my salvation because of Hebrews chapter six or Hebrews chapter 10. By the way, that's a, that's kind of an open handed issue within the church. Different churches, like, they're just trying to do their best to understand passages like Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 10. It's tough. And if you think it's not tough, then you haven't studied it. Okay? Guys, I have studied these deep passages, and for a couple of years, I'll be like, you can leave, you can be born again and illuminate it, and then you can just decide, like, forget you, God, I'm out. Okay? And then I'll go and I'll teach it, I'll be asked to speak it at a conference and I know how tough it is and I dive in and I read and I research and I study and I look at the meta-narrative of scripture and the hope of the gospel and the point of the gospel and and I'll come away where I'm like no, you, you may backslide you may stumble and bumble and fumble but a genuinely born again Christian 
will not leave. Like the Lord will always bring him back. Okay. Well, Rory, what's your position now? Stick around as we go through the New Testament as I preach and you'll know it. Okay. Chuck Smith always used to say, once saved, always saved. And everyone, I knew what I was going to say. And everyone will say, amen. But that's not where Chuck stopped. He said, once saved, always saved, providing your abiding. Okay? And when you read like in Hebrews 6 or Hebrews chapter 10, and you get into this, my understanding of those Hebrews passages now are they are these guidelines near the cliff that are saying, don't go any farther. They are sobering passages that cause us to say, you know what? There's the ledge. There's the cliff. I don't want to be like, you know, have I lost my salvation? Have I left my salvation? I guess we'll never know, you know? And it's like, if you're hanging out right here, you're asking the wrong questions. You're in the wrong place. Get away from there. What are you even doing there? The fact that you're wanting to kind of be like, it's like, I don't think you're like abiding in Jesus. I don't think you get Jesus. And that's concerning. All right. And so Jesus is just telling us here, you guys, you don't want to be those that are disconnected from Jesus. And so if you're in a place where you're like, I think I can toy with this a bit. You are at the least in the danger zone. At worst, you're not saved. At best, you're in the danger zone. And the glorious good news is God has brought you here today so that you can hear Jesus say, my intention for you isn't that you'd even have to worry about it. I want you tapped in to me. And so I even just this week, I got a a text from a guy that hasn't been to church in eight months or so. And he just said, oh, you know, gosh, I'm just reading Hebrews 6, 6. And I'm really concerned that like, like I'm done, you know, and I don't know, speak to me on this. And I said, dude, just come back. Like it's right now. It's an age of grace. Just all you got to do, like come to Jesus. Let's go live for Jesus together. Haven't seen him since. It's like, well, then maybe you need to be afraid. (laughs) That's okay. Healthy fear. It drives us to the Lord. All right. So Jesus says, you've got to be abiding in me. And I've got to be abiding in you. And if we're abiding and we're connected to one another, there's this wonderful thing that happens where you bear much fruit. Anybody here a fruit person? You just love, just love fruit. I, wow, there are a lot less fruit people than I thought. I didn't thought, is anyone here fruity? Yeah, we know who you are. Okay. All right. But I mean, you are just like, I am what? I have apples and oranges and bananas and pears and watermelons and candles. And I know, oh, if it has a seed, then it's a fruit. And if it doesn't have a seed, then it's a veg, whatever. Like, it's all good. Okay. That's sugar in it. I want it. Okay. And so, oh gosh, all the good fruits, like I love, and I love the fresh fruits right off the vine, right off the, right in the farmer's market, you know? And, and there's this hope for us as Christians that we can be those that have that dripping off of us. 
bearing much fruit. Israel was supposed to be this. In Hosea 14.8, Ephraim shall say, what have I to do anymore with idols? I've heard and observed him. I'm like a green cypress tree and your fruit is found in me. Guys, I want to be like that cypress tree that just fruit is found. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, Paul prays for the Colossian church that they would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Listen to this. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Is that something that describes your life today? Don't think about other people. Think about yourself right now. What's the Lord speaking as he searches your heart? Fruitful in every good work. The transparent purpose of this verse is to insist that there are no true Christians without some measure of fruit. Fruitlessness is an infallible mark of a non-Christian. And fruitfulness is an infallible mark of a true Christian. Alistair Begg says, Scripture plainly teaches that God does not keep a man or woman on the way of salvation without exertion, without diligence, without watchfulness on the man or the woman's part. And what he's getting at there is God hasn't saved us to be armchair Christians, to be lazy boy Christians. C.T. Studd wrote an incredible work called The Chocolate Soldier, you know, and he said, you know, some of you on the outside, you look like a soldier, you know, and you like, oh yeah, I want to be in the fight and I want to be in the battle. But then the sun comes out and the heat comes out and you're found to just melt at any form of actual Christian living. And he just has this great, you know, this great correction to the chocolate soldiers where he just says, oh yeah, you know, you're just, you like the dainty little carrier box that the chocolate soldiers are put in. And you like that little sheet that's over chocolates, you know, that, you know, the little light sheet, you know, and you just like that little, but you know, they take you out of the box and they set you out for battle and you just melt. And he's like, God hasn't saved us to be chocolate soldiers, lazy boy Christians. He saved us for a purpose and for fruitfulness. Now let's notice a few fruits from this section. One of the first fruits of this section from verse five is great accomplishment. Great accomplishment. For without me, you can do nothing. Well, so then the opposite is true, right? And does your mind go to Philippians chapter four, verse 13? One of like the key memory verses of our childhood. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, so you've got these two truths. Without Jesus... I can do nothing. No exceptions. There are not people who do partially good for the kingdom of God, and yet they are apart from him. 
For to do good for the kingdom of God, it's because we're connected to him. Without him, Jesus says, you can do no thing. And then the opposite. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Great accomplishments. We're going to see that connected to great prayer in this chapter as well. Moving on, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. And so this is a sobering passage in our picture of the vineyard and the vine and the branches. If there are any branches that are not connected to the vine, they're cast out. They're withered. And that just makes sense. Wouldn't you say that's a fair thing? For the farmer to do? Isn't that something that you do in your garden? Something's disconnected from the main source of life. It's withered. It's fruitless. And so what do you do? You grab it. You throw it in the pile. The bramble pile. The the burn pile. And then at the right time, you burn it. That's just fair. Last night, we were at the Guzay wedding. Uh, So fun. 18 and 19 year old. Isaac and Madeline got married um, way out in the boonies, out in the middle of nowhere, total ranch, uh, country wedding, uh, where during the dance, there's blue healer dogs walking around and hanging out around, every, you know, and we'd be walking around through the tables at the reception, and I kept hearing people say, where'd all these branches come from? And somehow, all throughout the tables, there were all these different, like, just twigs and branches and And we were like, I don't know, like, there's a lot of kids running around and maybe they're out doing sword fighting and then they throw the branch down there. Or maybe uh, those dogs came in, you know, hoping someone would fetch with them and they dropped it down there. But there were all these like twigs and things like not where they should be. And, you know, your instinct is just, let's get these out of the way and toss them up over here, you know, where they're going to perish. That's a fair thing. They don't belong there. And here, Jesus just says the truth of what will happen to a person who is not abiding in Jesus, nor Jesus in he or she. There's no life, there's no green, there's no fruit, there's no hope. You know, and elsewhere in the scripture, there's something very special in Romans chapter 10. And it's that God does a process called grafting. It's really cool if you ever grafted. And he says that where his original plan was for Israel to be his chosen people, where they are ministering the gospel to the world, they rejected Jesus. And so God has taken all of us heathens who have received Jesus and he's grafted us into the original olive tree. And he says that we're like a wild, rugged olive tree and he grafts us in. Has anyone ever seen a grafted tree? Uh, Back a few years ago, my aunt had leukemia and my mom was her stem cell donor. And after my mom donated the stem cells for her cancer treatment, um, my uncle bought my mother, we called it a fruit salad tree because it was a fruit tree, like an apple tree and grafted into it were some peaches and plums and it was one tree, but it was grafted with a bunch of different fruits. So this fruit fruity guy that I am, you know, I'm like, this is like the best treat ever, you know, 
Now, don't think to buy me one because I can't keep anything alive at my house, all right? The grass is alive, that's it. So a lot of you are like, lilacs, Rory loves the lilacs. Buy me one. It just never is flowered. Just, I can't. Roses, I don't know what to do. It will not grow. Okay, so, or come over and help me with that. And so there is hope in the sense that the Lord is able to take and graft in. And and the reason I speak this is today you're here and you realize you've been disconnected from the the vine. And God in his grace today, he will strap you down tight into him and cause you to grow and to have life again. He will heal your backsliding. But if you just are not in Jesus and don't want to be in Jesus... There's no hope for you but, verse 6, to be cast out. I have it in red in my notes here. Here I have the verse, and in the red, I've got, I highlighted, cast out, withered, thrown them into the fire, and burned. Jesus tells us in the Olivet Discourse that because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. In this crazy season, this especially awful season of 2020 and 2021, has your love grown cold for Jesus? Are you abiding in Jesus? So sad to see people that once were a part of our church just backsliding and just not walking in Christ and actually to have people just make full statements of, not being followers of Jesus anymore. John addresses this in 1 John 2. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. Now the hope is, verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And so what's one way that we are abiding in Jesus and we have that life coming into us where Jesus is in us? He added something there and it's that when his word abides in us. So being in the scripture privately as a church, we go through the word and we let the word do its perfect work. And something that will happen is our second fruit point from this section. The first one was we'll be able to accomplish great things. Secondly, we will have answered prayer. And the New Testament tells us so often we pray and we don't get what we ask for because we pray amiss that we could spend it on our pleasures. Oh, I really want that speedboat, you know, I really want that Ferrari, you know, I really want this or that. And the Lord knows if I gave you that, I'd never see you again. And so I'm not going to let you have that. But as we're abiding in Jesus and his word is abiding us, we begin to pray according to his will and he begins to answer those things. And so answer prayer. Psalm 37, four, delight yourself also in the Lord And he shall give you the desires of your heart. Verse 8. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Oftentimes we ask the first question in Westminster's shorter catechism. It's a question that we should ask our children. 
and our disciples. And this is the question. What is the chief end of man? That's not the first time you've heard that here at Calvary. What is the chief end of man? And that means, why, why are we here? What are we doing? What, you know, what, what's the purpose of all this? What's our main goal here, people? Glorify God. Oh, yeah. Awesome. So you guys know it, you know, and the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why we've been put here. Why am I uh, a branch on the vine? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Why are we here meeting in the park today? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Why do I read my Bible? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You know, you getting it? You guys, girls getting it up front here? You got it? Totally. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Okay. Why should we go bear much fruit? Who cares? Well, we want to glorify God. And in verse 8, Jesus says, By you bearing fruit, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you'll be my disciples. Verse 9, As the Father loves me, I've also loved you, so abide in my love. Verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And so a sign that we're abiding that we're tapped into that trunk is that we will abide in his word. We will be praying. We will be uh, having answered prayers. We will be accomplishing great things for him. Uh, and we will be obeying his commands. That's one way that we abide is by keeping his commands. Verse 10. And Jesus says, guys, I know how it is because I also have obeyed. I've kept my father's commands and I abide in his love. And I'm telling you, you walk in obedience and you're going to be abiding in me. Look at verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And so another sign of fruit as we abide is inexhaustible joy. All right, so the first thing, a sign of fruit in our life is accomplishment of great things. Answered prayer. Obedient love. Inexhaustible joy. No matter what your circumstance in life, you have joy. You know, happiness is a fickle thing. Happiness is based upon your circumstance. What you ate for breakfast, if it gave you the right blood sugar about, you know, uh, happiness is based upon, you know, the news that you got today or who you heard from or who you didn't hear from. And it just fluctuates up and down and all around. But joy is something that is not based on the matters of life, but it comes from simply abiding in Jesus. That's why the theme of the book of Philippians is joy in Christ. Even though Paul is writing Philippians from a jail cell, he's able to write about, I've learned that in all places that I'm at, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be joyful in Jesus. Galatians chapter five tells us a few more fruits. Actually, there's another fruit from this text that I wanted to show you. <laughs> 
Number tw uh, verse 12, here's another sign of fruit from abiding. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So a fruit from abiding is love for one another. And then verse 13, greater love has no end than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And so one sign of fruitful abiding is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love on the part of husbands towards wives and one towards another. It's part of abiding fruits. If you turn to Galatians chapter 5, we have a list of fruits of the Spirit in the life of a Christian. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. I haven't had you turn too many places today. Why don't you go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're wrapping up here. The fruit of the Spirit, fruit of abiding. By the way, guys, you might be exhausted from this sermon already. Like, oh, now I got to abide. Oh, now I got to like bear a bunch of fruit. The thing about fruit is it's effortless. Do you hear your apple tree out in the backyard in the middle of the night? just like, come on. You know, no, like there's no leaves on your apple tree in the late winter. And then, you know, you walk outside one day, it's a little warmer out and oh, there's like some leaves and you come back home from work and oh, there's some blossoms. And then, you know, you come out the next day and then there's like apples and it's just like the trees, just like, just me being me, brother, this is what I do. It's the same for Christians. It's like, boy, old Tom, you know, he's having a real hard time bearing fruit these days. Yeah, I don't know what his deal is. He's trying as hard as he can. Yeah, I know. I hear him every night. And I'm like, oh, Lord, just one fruit. You don't hear that. Um, but Galatians tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Kind of interesting we've got the father the vine dresser we've got the son who is the vine and then here we have from another book just kind of like a little role of the spirit in the equation the spirit is the power that comes through the vine into the branches and one of the first things that he brings is love in fact it's been said that love is the is the actual noun and then everything else underneath it is an adjective that describes love that we're going to read in a second. So the fruit of being abiding in Jesus and having the Holy Spirit in you is love. Now, hold on one second. You guys know like the most quoted wedding verse in all of history. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse four. The love passage. Raise your hand here if you had first Corinthians 13 quoted at your wedding. Anybody? You did? All right. All right. Couple people. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. You guys know it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Have you ever taken the word love out and put your name in just to see if you're loving? Let's try it right now. 
Let's not. Rory is patient. Amen. Rory is kind. So kind. Rory never envies. Rory does not parade himself around. Rory's not puffed up. Rory doesn't behave rudely. Doesn't seek his own. Is not provoked. Rory thinks no evil and doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Rory bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Rory never fails. Why don't you ask Russell and Lainey and Titus and Tatum? Maybe Lindsay? Head to the kids first. Lindsay's so busy. Why don't you ask them how I embody love? Right. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And Galatians 5, 22 through 23 says, And what flows out of love is joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Oh gosh, this next one, I just looked at it and I was convicted. Gentleness. So gentle. I didn't got to have a little tenderness. Okay. Self-control? Absolutely. When you're lacking those things and you're lacking love, it's a sign that you're being disconnected from, you're disconnecting yourself from Jesus. You're not abiding. And so as we have the worship team come on up, Where, where have you been at with abiding in Jesus? In Jesus abiding in you? Where's your personal life been with spending time meditating in his word? Very blessed this week to just be enjoying our new deck with Lindsay a few mornings. And, uh, and to sit with her on the deck and she's got her journal out while she's reading through the word and she's writing down just things the Lord's speaking to her as she reads. And she's kind of rewriting uh, the verse in a way that she'll like be processing it and just love that she's abiding in Jesus. How are you doing? It doesn't mean you have to have a journal, but a journal is very helpful in, a, in your time with the Lord and the devotional and just being in the word, listening to sermons. How are you abiding at being in church? Church is not an option for the Christian. Church is how we are Christians. Dwelling with one another, living with one another, living out life with one another, serving one another, using our gifts to build up one another. Are you abiding? Are there things in your life that kind of cause you to backslide and drift away from abiding? Yeah, it seems like whenever I hang out with these friends, I find myself backslidden and pulling away from the vine. I find myself more fruitless. And today would be a great day to just purpose in your heart that I'm not going to be going there anymore. I'm not going to be abiding in that anymore. Is there a season in your year, if you're just honest, is there a season in your year when you're abiding more and then you're abiding less? And you're abiding more and you're abiding less. And it, don't lie to yourself. 
If you're in the less state, that is an unhealthy state to be in. It's not a, what can you do? I guess sometimes you abide less. I don't see that here. I see without me, you can do nothing, no exceptions. And my heart as a pastor and as a shepherd in this church is so grieved when people that I love, I just see them, huh? 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 Like that is not, that is actually the Lord condemns that in James chapter one, Ephesians chapter uh, five, chapter four rather. He doesn't desire us to be tossed around like every wind and wave. And man, he wants us to just be steadily abiding in him. We're going to close here in just a second with communion. We're doing it after today. Because, you know, communion means to share, to fellowship. And it's a moment where we can share with one another and share with Jesus. Communion. Being linked with him, remembering him. And maybe as you come forward today with your wife or your kids or your friend, and before you partake of communion, you would just spend some time just saying, Lord, thank you for this relationship that you've created between us of being in one another, mutual abiding. Thank you, Lord, for coming into me and Maybe today you're here today, you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and to abide in you. And today he's, he's just waiting like, he actually says in Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and comes to me and opens, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Have you ever heard Jesus knock on the door of your heart and your life and say, I'm right here waiting to come in. I'm right here waiting to graft you into me to give you source of life. And so maybe today as you come to the table, you would say, Lord, I want you in me for the first time. And you would remember Jesus's body that lived on this earth, that was betrayed by friends, that was stripped and whipped and beaten and bruised and nailed to that Roman cross. And you would remember his blood that was spilled and shed freely for the forgiveness of sins that anybody here in this park today that would remember his blood and say, thank you for shedding it for me. You will not perish. You will not have your sins imputed against you, but you will have everlasting life. And maybe just the last thing as you come to communion today, you're a Christian you just notice there have been things that the enemy's been doing. He's been trying to come and choke you out. The goat head vines have been coming in, trying to wrap and choke you out and draw you out. You know that, man, Decembers are great. Marches and Aprils are horrible. Winters are good. Summertime comes. Every other activity in the world trumps the time with Jesus. And I'm down. And Lord, I don't ever want to be there again. I want a purpose in my heart to abide in year, you year long. And as we come to communion and we remember the deep love of Jesus, he is worthy to be abiding in, to be our abode. You can set your things aside as I go to the guitar here.